Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. The international break is very much in the rear view mirror as we pull away down the final stretch of this Premier League season. Not a lot of time to go, but a lot still yet to be decided in England's top flight, with Manchester City looking nailed on for the title and the blur of the relegation picture also slowly creeping into focus. It's the race for Champions League football which really captures the attention. Can Tottenham stake their claim for a top four finish? They'll have to beat second place Manchester United at the very least this weekend to do so, as Jose Mourinho welcomes one of his former employers to North London. But it's West Ham who currently occupy that lofty fourth spot. How hungry are the Hammers to qualify for the Champions League? We'll find out as they take on fellow top four incumbents Leicester. And can Chelsea leave us all firmly in the belief that conceding five to West Brom was just a blip? Thomas Tuchel's Blues make the short trip to Crystal Palace in their Premier League exploits this weekend. Seven games to look ahead to on today's Football Social Daily, the podcast focusing on top flight affairs with a new episode every single day of the season. My name's Niall McCorn and our previewing pundits today are Manchester City presenter Natalie Pike. Hello, Nat. Hello, you all right, mate? I'm very, very good. And we've also got the Daily Mail's Northern Football reporter, Jack Gorn, who also holds the prestige of being the only Blackpool fan I know. How are you doing, Jack? <laughs> really? Is that true? I don't know any other Blackpool fans aside from you, mate. Honestly, you're in uh, esteemed company. That's really weird because Black- Blackpool is... Uh, we've got a lot of exiles. So I live in Manchester and thousands of Blackpool fans live in London and we live all over the country, everywhere but Blackpool. So I thought you would have come across... Something. No, and I've never met, actually that's a lie, I have now met a Port Vale fan, but for about 20 years I'd never met a Port Vale fan in my life. 
So there are some there are some clubs out there of fans that I've never met before. But you're the only. Are there any famous Blackpool fans? Yeah, you're talking to one. You. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, I think Shane Ritchie claimed that he was a Blackpool fan once. Really? Yeah. Was that like a bandwagon thing though? When you're in the Premier League? No, no, like... no. It was way before that. Um, was he married <laughs> to a Nolan sister? Shane yes. That'll probably be why. <laughs> <laughs> I won't ask you the same question now. I'm sure there's plenty of famous Man City fans. Oh, I was going to say, ask me about Blackpool. I was going to say, I actually have a few friends that are Blackpool fans. So, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe it's a Northwest go. thing. Yeah. Anyway, enough about Blackpool. Let's talk about Tottenham and Manchester United. One of the bigger games this weekend in the English top flight. They square off at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at 4.30pm on Sunday. Always drama, Jack, when Jose Mourinho returns to a former club. You feel like he is very keen to get Tottenham where they want to be. You feel like he's very keen to prove his critics wrong and very keen to get a result against Manchester United. Just how important is a win for Mourinho and for Tottenham in their hopes of reaching top four this season? Uh, Yeah, important. Um, But I don't think defeat wouldn't leave them out of it at all, would it? it? I think they they probably just need a performance, Tottenham. Just given what's happened over the last few Mm. weeks, it's all... I mean, it always feels like it's about to unravel, doesn't it? Um, but Spurs, yeah. particularly under under Mourinho, I mean, so much stuff came out after the uh, after the Zagreb defeat um, and and the draw at Newcastle. Actually, There's just so much going on around the around the team that maybe it'll get maybe that sort of thing will, will galvanise them in a short period of time, um, and he'll he'll mm. get results out of them. Because if look, he got to a he's got to a cup final. And if he gets him in the top four, they'll probably go. That's par, isn't it? Probably for the season. Yeah. Um, and he's good in these little, in these little stints. This is why I think he'll be a really good international manager in the future because he'll be he'll get a tune out of a team for six weeks. Mm. It, the, the problem is is the is the, is the longevity in it. That's the issue. Yeah, and I think as well with Tottenham, I almost feel for Mourinho. He's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. If he doesn't win them a trophy or get them in the top four or something of that ilk, then everyone's going to say that he's a failure. And even if he does win the League Cup and, and they beat Manchester City, the question will be, oh, well, it's only the League Cup. You know, he's washed up when it comes to the Champions League and the Premier League and stuff like that. Well, that was the same with that was the same with Wander Ramos, wasn't it, yeah. when he won it? It was like, they were just like, they weren't mm. bothered, were they? Um, and that's the last, last trophy they've won, and they I don't know. I'd, I'd, you'd have to ask a Spurs fan, but I suppose do they are they that that bothered about winning a trophy? Because they all seem quite quite pleased or happy for them to be going in the right direction without winning anything under Pochettino for years. So I don't know whether the actual the style of football and the enjoyment is actually more important to Tottenham fans than than silverware. I don't know. Everybody wants to win a trophy. I think people. I think big clubs that say that. I think they're just being, you know, they're tr- they're, they're trying to, you know, when you repeat something enough times, try and make yourself believe it. Every, everybody wants to win a trophy. And do you know what? When I whenever I hear people knock knock, knock the league, I knew up, you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> when you I'm when you high. said when you do something enough times, you start to believe it. Manchester City have won the League Cup so many times. It should now be considered as big as the Champions League, I think. <laughs> I, com- I concur fully and totally agree. But, you know, the League Cup, obviously in normal terms, and for some people this year, it's a trip to Wembley. It is a piece of silverware. It's a celebration. I just think that if more clubs put more effort and more, gave it more respect, yeah. then, you know, it would... It would it would hold more weight and it would, you know, mm. and it really is an opportunity for people to win trophies. We win it every year because we're the only ones that respect it. 
It's, well, it's great. From my point of view, it's great that City respect it so much because it's normally on my birthday weekend, so we go down to London for the weekend. I cover the match <laughs> nice. and then go out in Camden after. It's great. Well, it's the only trophy that Portsmouth have never won, so I'm quite fond of the League Cup as well. I want that in the cabinet, excluding <laughs> European trophies, of course. We don't count those down on the South Coast. Um, still, talking of the enjoyment and the performance levels and stuff like that, Nat... I mean, things like that have been levelled at Manchester United this season, particularly after Thursday's showing in the Europa League against Granada. They won the game by two goals to nil, but there were question marks over a rather flat and uninspiring performance, which I don't want to say has been the hallmark of United this season because they have turned in some really exciting showings. But I just think in general, when there's a lack of fans in the stadium, sometimes the tempo of the game can, can feel a little bit flat naturally due to that. But one of the question marks that arose from that game on Thursday, the Europa League quarterfinal, was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's inclusion of Marcus Rashford in the starting eleven after injury. He said that Marcus Rashford wasn't going to be a 90-minute man, and that wasn't the case in the end. There are question marks perhaps over whether Solskjaer's pushing Rashford a little bit too much. We know that he's had some niggling injuries. We know that he's been playing through a pain barrier. He's an excellent player, and now he's the first Man United player to have scored 20 goals in consecutive seasons for the first time since Wayne Rooney did it. Do you think Rashford is being pushed a little bit too much? Do you think that Solskjaer needs to be a bit careful because he's still a young man, Marcus Rashford? Yeah, and I, I know plenty of United fans that are a bit uncomfortable with the fact that he that he is getting picked and he is playing when he's clearly not fully fit. Um, and obviously Solskjaer said before the game against Granada that he wasn't going to play the full 90 minutes and he ended up playing the 65 minutes. And I guess Solskjaer's comeback to that would be that the gamble works because obviously he, he scored. Um, mm. But it won't have helped his fitness. This is a huge game for for United, who um, and, and I have. Do you know what? I'm, I don't mind saying it. I find them dull. They have a few. You know, they've had a few good performances, interesting performances. But to be honest with you, I find Spurs dull as well. And my kind of prediction for this game is it's just going to be two, it's you know, kind of dull teams with managers that are just going to think, don't let us lose this big important game so um i think it will mm. probably will be dull but in in terms of of rashford i think it's a, it's a difficult one for Solskjaer because he needs him playing in in the big games but obviously he's 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 not fully fit and obviously with with martial out injured as well now i feel like there's probably less chance that he's that he's going to get rest mm. are these concerns and queries jack over rashford and Solskjaer's treatment of him and keeping him fit do these stem from the fact that United at the front end of the pitch haven't been as potent as perhaps many would have liked them to be? Mason Greenwood is obviously an extremely young man, but exceptionally talented, and he hasn't got really too many goals to his name this season. Cavani, we know, has played in spells. He's been a bit of a bit part performer due to injury and other things. Martial has gone completely off the boil, is now out for presumably the rest of the season. So... I guess Solskjaer is relying on an injured Rashford to find some goals for Manchester United because if it isn't him or Fernandes delivering, you do wonder where those goals are going to come from. No, that has been, yeah, it's been an issue because it's, <clears throat> it's almost as if, if if Rashford and Fernandes don't do it, then who's going to do it? Mm. Um, and you always get the sense that you almost feel as if they can't rest the best players, whereas quite a lot of the other sides in the top four five, six maybe, feel as if they can kind of rotate a little bit more. I mean, like, look at Maguire. Because Maguire, I think Maguire's played every minute of the Premier League this season. Yeah. Which, given that United have been, or were in the Champions League and are now in the Europa League, and they've played an extra round in Europe because the Europa League has an extra uh, knockout stage, mm. he's just played so much football. And Rashford, 
I mean, the talk of Ashford needing surgery on a shoulder injury that's been a persistent problem throughout the season. Yeah. Uh, at the end, at the end of the campaign, add to that the the ankle issue that he's had as well, and you just think, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm not obviously I'm not there, so it's difficult to criticise Solskjaer because obviously he knows whether certain players are in the red zone or whatever else. But you know, you look at it in hindsight and go, well, maybe like individual X or individual Y could have had two or three weeks. Mm on the bench and just kept him a little bit fresh. He's, he's played 47 games this season, Jack. How nuts is that? That's the thing. I just don't think he, I just don't think he has the trust in the, in the secondary group to be able to play them in a argument, say a home game against Crystal Palace. Yeah. And I think that you're right because even if you take things at the back and we leave Rashford to one side for the moment, you know, alongside Maguire, his main partner has been Lindelof this season, but he's had a back injury which he picked up on international duty, which he's been carrying pretty much all season. And he can only play three or four games in a row before his mm. back starts to flare up and he needs a game out. But yeah, Eric Bailly, who's now currently got coronavirus after international duty with the Ivory Coast, you know, he's not really trusted as a, an option to come in. And he's been all right when he's played, but he hasn't played regularly enough. Tuan Zabi's been left in the dark and I don't think it's really fancied. So you know, even at centre-back, there are issues there in terms of the starting eleven and the main crop of players and those players that perhaps the manager does and doesn't trust. Yeah, the Bayi thing's a real problem because they can't. I mean, Bayi can't play three games in a week, can he? Because he'll he'll get himself injured, uh, which is partly because of the way he plays. I think um, yeah. it's kind of all all or nothing in it with with Bayi a little bit, which is such a shame that he's picked up so many injuries in his time because he's. I think he's a fantastic defender um, and exactly the sort of defender that supporters of any club would want on their mm. on their side just because it's blood and thunder in it and um mm. but the the doubts over whether he's able to play however many games on the trot means that Maguire always plays and Maguire Maguire's gonna be absolutely shattered by the time the Euros come round, if not already. It's yeah. impossible to keep it up for that long. And in I remember reading on uh United's website in August I'm sure they put it out United. They were they were crowing over about over the amount of minutes that Maguire played in the season before, and they were. And I was like, "Well, is that something you really want to be boasting about?" Mm. I mean, it's great that he's like puts his body on the line for the club, but you're gonna wear, you're gonna burn him out. Burn, yeah, he... Burnout isn't exclusive to young attacking players. Yeah, and we recently saw Harry Maguire, didn't we? Reach a milestone. What was it? 100 appearances for Manchester United um, since his arrival at the club. So. You know, he's not been there that long, so you're absolutely right. He has been a key component for Manchester United and maybe squad rotation and squad selection will be something to keep an eye on in this weekend's tie between Tottenham and Manchester United. That's a 4.30pm kickoff on Sunday. Another top four clash which catches the eye takes place at the London Stadium where West Ham entertain Leicester City. This is a five past two kickoff on Sunday afternoon. West Ham, if they haven't already this season made a statement, Nat, they can make an even bigger statement with a win over Leicester City, especially in terms of trying to solidify themselves in the top four this season. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know that I that I am I'm a massive fan of West Ham getting in the top four this season. Every time I'm on, I end up 
talking about them and and Moyes. Um, <laughs> and I think I think we established last time I was on that that is fully just because I want to see Moyes do well because he was treated so badly at United. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I'm surprised to have a tattoo of David Moyes by this point. You've spoken about him enough on this show. I know I love David Moyes this season. I'm just I really hope that they that they can you know stay in the top four. People keep saying that they're going to slip away, and you know all the pundits that I'm seeing you know thinking talking about the top four are still saying you know Chelsea and Liverpool and West Ham will slip away but they're clinging on aren't they they're getting results they had that you know good they played really well against Wolves was it Monday night just gone um they're scoring loads obviously confident they're feeling good you've got Lingard shining they're entertaining to watch and you know this Mm. is a a huge game. I definitely think it's a statement if they can beat Leicester, who obviously it's third place above them. Um, it, that would, you know, I think that would be a statement of you keep thinking we're going to slip off, but we are not. We, you know, we're here mm. for the long haul, and you know, I really hope they are. But they don't have Declan Rice and they don't have Mikhail Antonio, two really important performers for them. How do you think they'll get on against Leicester, who themselves have had injuries this season, Nat? But you know, Declan Rice has almost been like the cornerstone of their success, and then we've seen. Lingard and Socek and other players at times this season perform really well, including Antonio. But Rice has been somewhat of a mainstay. So how do you think they're going to deal without him and Antonio against Leicester? When I was thinking about this before we came on, when I was thinking about Declan Rice, I was kind of also kind of thinking about obviously the fact that um, Madison made a cameo against us last week, you know, coming back to fitness. And then I was like, e without Declan Rice, how will they... um, what will what will they do with Madison? You know, because yeah. if if he'd have been playing, you know, Rice would have been all over him, man marking him and and sorting him out. But I think that is worrying. Obviously, going into that Leicester game, if Madison is going to start and, and is going to be fit, um, and then obviously with An- Antonio, who you know, I'm a big fan of, fab- fabulous player. Obviously, the arrival of Jesse Lingard has eased the pressure that he of also you know generally carries for the club on on goals. Mm. And then we did see mm. Jared Bowen. I want to say um, came on. When he went off against Wolves on Monday night and scored as well, so that's you know that's yeah. really great for them. And Moyes said in his press conference this week, you know that um, if he plays as well as he did against Wolves, then you know you know that's really going to mm. help us. So hopefully Antonio won't be too much. Of, obviously, it's always a blow when he's out, but hopefully it won't be too much. But I, yeah, Declan Rice is, is, is definitely. Oh, shall I say it? Sorry, I apologise in advance, everyone. It's a hammer blow. For <laughs> oh, for God's sake! That's awful. Isn't oh it? Yeah, goodness sorry. me! We'll edit ignore that. that. Edit that. Yeah, we'll swiftly move on from that. Um, I think it's a good point you raised, though. We said on Tuesday's podcast, Jack, looking back at the Monday night fixtures, that Jared Bowen needs a a big month or so, big six weeks for West Ham United, doesn't he? I think he's looked good, actually, since he arrived uh, from championship side Hull City, or at least they were championship at that point in time. Um, But yeah, it, it does feel like all of the other players seems to have chipped in this season, and it's about time that he did so as well. Uh, he scored two in his last two. It's good, good start. <laughs> they need him. They um, need him, don't they? They do need him. Yeah. Uh, I think he carries. He obviously carries a goal-scoring threat, but he's like. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of a of a way to describe him without using the word pre-assist, and I kind of can't, which is annoying. Um, <laughs> a link-up player. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's very kind of clever in the spaces. I think, and he's like kind of drags uh, drags defenders away and creates space for other. Other players, I think that's his main asset, to be honest. Um, mm. He's quite an intelligent attacker. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Without Antonio, they need someone to, to take over that kind of goal-scoring um, mm. mantle, really. I thought mm. the impressive thing about about Monday night was the way they hung... Well, 
the way they manage the game late on. Because I know the Arsenal match was a few weeks ago, but they they completely fell away against Arsenal. Yeah, they crumbled, didn't, they? didn't they? Yeah. And it looked like they were going to do that again on Monday. And they didn't. Uh, and I think that was a psychologically quite a big last half hour for them, um, which could, should serve them well. Uh, and then you, if you've got someone in the form like, like Lingard, mm. you've always got to have a chance on you because he's just... It's really, really great how how well he's done since he's gone there. Mm. I think that like, the, there's a his universal belief, uh, or kind of everyone everyone just wants Lingard to do well. I think, don't they? And everyone's quite happy with how it's how it's going. And he's turned himself into turned himself into a fifty million pound player in the space of three months. It's amazing. Yeah, we said it's a win win for both West Ham United and Manchester United because West Ham have got a player in form that could fire them to the Champions League and if that's the case an extra 100 plus million worth of revenue in the pocket in what's been a difficult time for, for West Ham if they qualify for the Champions League but also Manchester United have now got a more valuable asset than they had before so absolutely a win-win for everyone all around across the board when it comes to Jesse Lingard. What about Leicester then Jack? They've now got a four-point gap to second place in Manchester United which uh, wasn't that wide only a couple of weeks ago. Do you think that chasing down United and trying to finish second should still be their aim or, or will top four suffice for them? Uh, it should be the aim, but I don't think it's... I don't think it's the be-all and end-all. I think it's just making sure the the uh, consolidate the position they're in now um, and make sure they're not kind of surpassed by... Uh, who would be the most likely? Probably Chelsea, I would say, to jump ahead of them. Mm. Um, I was a bit disappointed with them last week. I thought they, I thought they'd give it a little bit more of a, little bit more of a go against City. Mm. I, was kind I of, did. I was kind of sat there in the ground going. Do you think that stems from that well, other game though, where they scored five at the Etihad? Look, they they definitely, they definitely set up, in exactly the right way to beat Man City, and I know we'll talk about City after, but it was I thought it was quite good from a City perspective that they were able to win a game like that. Um, with a team of that quality in the final third are still kind of defending really deep and hitting them on the counter and they've still managed to come away with a clean sheet. I thought that was quite a big moment for City in a in a strange way, even though they've won 26 out of 27. But you just, with the quality that Leicester have got, you just, I don't know, I just wanted them to get a grip of the ball in midfield a little bit more. I was like, come on, you're a little bit better than this. Um, mm. I, I don't know. Like, I suppose... Vardy's not in great nick at the moment, is he? Uh, and obviously Madison didn't play. And they've got quite a solid base. Um, so I guess I guess they were just trying to do do the best they could to, to nick something out of the game. But I just you always think with Leicester that they've got enough players that can affect mm. it to have a have a proper go. And that's why I think I think that's what they'll do against West Ham. I think it'll be a cracking game. Definitely, it's definitely game of the weekend. Inacho is playing well as well, which is a bonus for them, and probably puts a smile on Nat's face as well, for sure. Be it seen as he's a former Manchester City man. Anyway, West Ham take on Leicester City Sunday, five past two, kick off. Time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily, but still a chunk of Premier League fixtures to discuss, including Liverpool against Aston Villa. We'll talk about that next here on Football Social Daily. <laughs> Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. 
Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. If you haven't heard already, we've launched a brand new podcast network, the UK's only dedicated sports podcast network. You can find out more, sport-social.co.uk, something for every sport lover out there, from snooker to speedway, even a wrestling podcast on there, if that's your cup of tea. Go and check it out, the website, sport-social.co.uk. Time to preview some of the rest of the Premier League fixtures that take place across Saturday and Sunday. Now it's time to head to Anfield, where Liverpool will Welcome Aston Villa in the traditional 3pm Saturday kickoff slot. Do you think revenge will be in the air from Liverpool Net, particularly after the 7-2 loss six months ago back in October, which almost set the tone for their season? Yeah, that was nuts. I still remember hearing that score and being like, what? Because obviously that was, I mean, now is not such a surprise, but... You know, at that point, it was one of the first signs that, you know, things were not really going to go Liverpool's way this year. Um, and yeah. and also, you've got to remember at that point, they don't have any excuses because they have Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez, you know, as their first choice central defence um, playing in that game. And they, they obviously still lost the, mm. the 7-2. So it would... Um, revenge in the air. I... Oh God, I, do you know... I, I hope they get beat, obviously. But in terms of their professionalism, it shouldn't be because they... What they need to be focusing on now is is finishing in that top four. So their focus in this game needs to be the three points and and not the revenge, especially so because we know that their home record is 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 absolutely horrendous at the minute. You know they've they've not won mm. at home. Is it their is it eight games, six games, something like that? Or it, it's the, I think it's like the sixteenth of December that they've not won at Anfield for, and they've got the huge game midweek coming up against Real Madrid. Obviously they're behind from their their first game. So I think that they need to concentrate on getting the win so that they can get that monkey off the back ahead of Real Madrid coming in, in the week. They're only three points behind fourth place now. And because of the time that they play, I think that if they win, they'll actually jump into fourth because they play before everybody above them. So, mm. you know, maybe he'll use it in his pre-match talk. You know, you know they beat a 7-2 last time. But I think if they're thinking too much about revenge, they they might end up taking their eye off the what is the important thing, which is the three points. Yeah, and they're certainly much closer to the top four than what it looked like only a few weeks ago. So they have been able to creep back towards that Champions League picture, particularly after their victory over Arsenal, which was fully deserved. And I thought they played really well, actually, against Arsenal last weekend. Although mathematically, they uh, can't win the Premier League title. They can't retain their crown this season. So they will not be champions this year, although they'll be clinging on to it right until the bitter end, I think, um, (laughs) until the trophy is lifted by another club, most likely Manchester City, which will hurt Liverpool fans. There has been a rivalry between those two clubs. So I think they'll be gunning for uh, probably revenge to get their title back next season. But in Aston Villa, Jack, they come up against the side who defensively away from home have eight clean sheets, which is the best record in the Premier League this season, which surprised me, actually. They've made wow. they've made uh, multiple improvements this season. I think they've recruited better in the summer. They've generally played better going forward. Do you think that their biggest improvement, though, and their most impressive has been at the back where they've stopped conceding stupid goals and they've stopped being leaky? And I suppose that record kind of speaks for itself. Yeah, but I think that's... Uh... I think that goes hand in hand with the added threat going forward. I think they've scored, well, how many games we've we played now? Thirty. I think they've scored more goals already this season than they had in the entire of last year. Um, I think as a just as a unit, they're they're just better, aren't they? Um, Louise has been good in midfield. Uh, Cons has been really impressive at the back. Yes, really. Like, kind of, you look at that now. I think that, he's actually been better than Mings, Jack. And yet Mings think? is the one that's in the England picture. I do, I think, from what I've seen. 
Because he, what did they spend on him? 10, 12 million quid from Brentford. Mm. Um, mm. And it, it's only now that they're starting to see see the benefits of that. Well, over the last six months anyway. Because these players take time. They probably signed him when he was 20, 21. And you can't expect someone to hit the ground running straight away. Um, and it, that's now looking like a really, really shrewd investment. Um, and he's kind of done it on the on the quiet because no one really talks about him, do they? Because it was always Tyrone Mings. Mings gets yeah. all the plaudits, doesn't he? Um, I just think they've got really tidy players all over the pitch who just do do the jobs really well. Like Matt Target, very very serviceable left back. McGinn, very good player. Grealish mm. is I obviously love McGinn. Been... Yeah, McGinn's brilliant. I think he's. A... I'm surprised McGinn's not gone on uh, and not been snapped up by a bigger club. And I don't know whether that's because of his injury record or not. But there's a few. like, You know, you could mention like four or five that yeah. are really, really good top flight players without mentioning Jack Grealish before you even get to Grealish. And then obviously yeah. Grealish gives them that X factor, which, and he's been exceptionally good this year. Mm. Uh, and he's right. They've missed him as well, haven't they, the last few weeks? I mean, yeah. I said this on last week's podcast and I think the week before that. He's back training out on the grass, but he's still a doubt for the game against Liverpool. But I said, you know, Aston Villa, they have danger of going into the Crystal Palace, Wilfred Zaha territory with when Zaha doesn't play. That's pretty much the dominant narrative from any Crystal Palace fixture. How are they going to do without him? And their record without him, Crystal Palace, without Zaha, spoke volumes until very, very recently. So I was concerned with Villa and from their perspective that Grealish would kind of dominate the viewpoint of those looking on from a neutral perspective as to whether they'd be able to cope without his influence. Yeah, but I think take take the um, take the Fulham game for example, where he wasn't he wasn't there. Obviously, he's yeah. injured. Mm. They had someone step up. Like Trezeguet came on, completely changed the game. And I know Trezeguet's done uh, hasn't scored many goals this year, but they're having these one-off games where someone's taking the game by the scruff of the neck and winning them the match or getting them a result which wasn't happening last year it was Grealish or nothing last year I think that's such a vital part of it that everybody's chipping in and they're not doing like look Trezeguet's not done it often has he but they've got that match out of him that's gotten three points which will, yeah. be, which will be big at the end of the season and if if, if four or five of them do that as a one-off you, you suddenly got 10, 12 more points than you would have done ordinarily. Yeah, well, Villa's excellent defensive away record coming up against Liverpool's shoddy home record. And then you add to that the ingredients of that 7-2 result back in October. I think this makes for an interesting fixture this weekend. Liverpool against Aston Villa kicks off on Saturday at 3 o'clock. Shortly after that, Chelsea will know what they need to do. Uh, Simply win against Crystal Palace to get back in the top four, I think, would do for Thomas Tuchel. Saturday, 5.30pm start here. And as we say, we mentioned West Ham early in that, but Chelsea can really put the pressure on the Hammers if they do beat Palace. Do you think what we saw from them in the Champions League quarter-final first leg midweek against Porto, where they won 2-0 and got two away goals, do you think the performance was enough to convince us that that defeat to West Brom, where they conceded five last week, was just a bit of a blip? Yeah, I think it was just a bit of a blip. I'd like to believe it wasn't. It was more, you know, I'd like to believe it was something more, but I think it was just a blip, you know, given his, his you know, the, their record since since Tuchel came. And I do think it was, it was just a blip. And the Porto game, was them bouncing back you know even though obviously conceding five goals against West Ham that was absolutely you know that was stunning that was you know from West Ham that was 
crazy. Um, they managed to produce, I think, a pretty dogged defence in midweek against Porto and I read that they'd had seven clean sheets in nine European games this season so it shows you know defensively mm. you know they are solid and five shipping five goals against West Brom I do think was was just a blip but they need it they need to win this weekend they need to beat Palace they need to you know show everybody else that that it wasn't you know it wasn't a blip they need to propel themselves back in you know to to um the top four if the other results go for them and you know make sure that they have a strong you know end to the season and we are obviously playing them in the semi-final of the FA Cup which is going to be really tough and I f- you know we might end up playing them in the final of the Champions League as well who knows <laughs> can you imagine I think Chelsea are certainly catching the eye in terms of Champions League football Jack and whether they may well be favourites just because of their style the way that they put into accomplished performances against Atletico Madrid in in the last 16 certainly it's caught the attention of many of those across Europe I just think for Chelsea if they can win something under Tuchel this season I think that really puts him in the frame to get extra credit this year I'm not going to say manager of the season because I don't think I don't think that's quite right but if they don't do you win take something... that away from Pep stop it <laughs> uh, if, no, I'll tell you what there is a there is a there is a balded gentleman that lives about five miles away from me that probably disagree with you. <laughs> and also, Scott Parker keeps fulling up, Fulham, Fulham up. Sorry, Nat. It's going to him. <laughs> I'm kidding. But no, certainly I'm not saying manager of the season, Thomas Tuchel, but it'd be remarkable for him to have come in in January. He's turned them around defensively, made them solid. Just seven goals conceded, five of those against West Brom. Um, and, you know, if they win a trophy this season, I think that would represent a, a really good welcome to English football for him. Uh, it represents a good welcome, yeah. But he's taken over quite a good team, um, who would have been in in with the shout of winning a trophy if Lampard had, had remained. I'm not saying they would have won anything, um, but it's you know he's not he's not taken over Fulham and transformed them into into FA Cup winners or anything, has he? It's like I don't know. I don't know where where we're at with Chelsea, and I don't think we will know where we're at with Chelsea for another year until. All the players are attuned to the way he wants to play, and <laughs> until Tickle's I, sacked and they get someone else in. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and uh, Gus Hiddink's back and he's winning the FA Cup or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do, I just, I, I, I don't know. I really don't know what what to make of them. They're, they're quite functional at the moment, and mm. while he's trying to impress his style on them, I think that's a that's really positive signs that they are functional and they're getting results. Um, Do you know what I'm waiting for? I'm waiting for them to score five goals past someone. That's what I'm waiting for. Well, that's for. that's the thing. They've got the players to do it. So and he needs. I think I said this on, on the other week, but he definitely he'll need, he needs a preseason to get them playing exactly how he wants to play because it's very mm. difficult to do that in the middle of the year, isn't it? Um, and yeah, they were good against Atletico Madrid and they were good against Porto, but I kind of Atletico aren't quite the team they were, um, and you would. And you would expect every English team to beat Porto over two legs. Um, so I don't know. I'd, I'm not. Uh, I'm not completely sold on the idea that they're, they're going to become a, a, a huge force, despite 
despite his reputation, despite the results, and despite the fact they spent an absolute load of money. Mm, interesting. I wonder if we will see Gus Hiddink back at Stamford Bridge after <laughs> guiding Curacao to a World Cup qualification in 2022, because that's where he is at the moment. <laughs> National team manager of Curacao, which I think is a nation best known for the blue spirit that they produce, uh, which goes in cocktails. No disrespect to them. Anyway, Chelsea take on Crystal Palace. No Michi Batshuayi for Palace, because obviously he's ineligible to face his parent club, Nat. But also, no James Tomkin no Mamadou Sacco, no McCarthy. MacArthur and Klein are both rated 50-50 to feature. Palace have spent a fair chunk of the season playing without many of their first teamers. So do you think that this group may already be equipped to deal with some of the potential departures of out-of-contract players this summer? Because that is the discourse around Crystal Palace is what are they going to do with the people out of contract, including Hodgson, and the players out of contract, because there is many of them. Yeah, it's mass a massive transition summer period for Crystal Palace. When you start reading about, you know, around twelve players reportedly out of contract at the end of the season, you know, with Roy Hodgson looking like he's going to retire at the end of the season as well, they they have a really they have the oldest. Um, Average age of players in the league at 28.8, according to um, a website that I was looking on. So this is a real transition mm. summer for them, an opportunity for them to maybe get rid of some of these older, higher paid players, to bring in some 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 younger players, you know, an opportunity to, to sort of rebuild, new manager... So yeah, it, it it's a huge it's a huge summer for them. I did read though, you know, on the on the BBC website, they said that um, McCarthy looks like he's going to be back for t- uh, for the game. But then on another website, I read it said that he definitely isn't. So I don't actually know if he's he's out or not. That would be you know you know. I'll big be for honest. Them. I still I still don't know the difference between McCarthy and MacArthur. And if they <laughs> came up to me in the street and punched me in the face, I still wouldn't be able to tell them apart. Honestly, I had to cover them both at Wigan, mate. <laughs> why do they keep following each other around why can't they just they're really play good. They're, a, they're, they're a really good partnership it's just sadly one of them is injured quite a lot uh, they're really good together just need two. one of them I to really change your name by them. deed poll or something so <laughs> call yourself Timmy or something make it easier for everyone but no I think you're right Nat and it'll be interesting to see what goes on with Crystal Palace from a managerial perspective, it feels almost inevitable that Roy Hodgson isn't going to get a new deal and he's going to walk away or you know he's going to part company with Palace Interestingly enough, Sean Dyche at Burnley has been linked with a possible takeover of Crystal Palace in the summer. We'll come on to Burnley a bit later on. But time to talk about another Northwest club, one much closer to your heart, Manchester City. They take on Leeds, 12.30pm kickoff, Saturday afternoon. Um, Manchester City, they've all but secured the title. And I think even the most negative and pessimistic City fan will start to feel slightly giddy now that... The Premier League is back on its way to the Etihad Stadium. But do you think Leeds United will cause your side any problems this Saturday, Nat? I don't think so. Uh, and and do, you, do you hear how I say that still quite tentatively? Um, I w- I thought that that Leicester were going to cause us more problems than they did last week, and we ended up you know we ended up beating them without really getting out of second gear. And and I absolutely in no way intend to sound cocky when I'm saying that. It's just kind of, it's just the facts at the minute. I think the you know the only thing is obviously we had the big Champions League game just gone. We've got the big Champions League game second leg on Wednesday. We know the focus of the Champions League for this club. We know the importance of it. Um, you know, Pep's always saying one game at a time, and obviously we've got great squad depth. Everybody's 
fit like which is like unheard of for us so even mm. if we do do a bit of rotation for the game it's not like we we suddenly put out a second string b team you know it, it'll still be a team that is that is full of world-class players so no mm. I, you know i think it's gonna it'll be a good game you know considering the way they play you know the way we play it'll be an exciting game but i would mm. be you know, I would be surprised if um, if we, you know, really surprised if we didn't come away with the three points. Is Nathan Ake fit then, if everyone's fit? Yes, oh Nathan my. Ake's been fit for a couple of weeks now. Nuts, wow. right? That's unbelievable. Yeah. I, can't, I can't believe it. I never thought I'd mm-hmm. see the day. Um, Pep may <laughs> rotate, obviously, as he likes to do so. He's a fantasy football player's worst nightmare. Um, big Champions League game next week against Dortmund. Of course, City uh, do hold the 2-1 advantage, but I'm sure that'll be at the back of his mind as well, particularly considering... The Premier League's pretty much sewn up now for Manchester City. What I did want to pinpoint was uh, one of the players that City have got, Jack, Alexander Zinchenko. Uh, There's been question marks over whether City need a new left-back from some corners of the City fan base on social media. Do you think his performances this season and over the last couple of campaigns mean that City actually need to dip into the market for another fullback this summer? I think he's looked really accomplished. Uh, It's it's dependent on Benjamin Mendy, what happens with Mendy. Um... If they were to sell Mendy, then they would go and get someone. Um, but they didn't feel they didn't have a single phone call from anyone about Mendy last summer. Not even a kind of what's his situation, um, which is quite unusual, really, given he had, you know wasn't in the plans at all. Uh, Zinchenko's a funny one. Zinchenko's seasons are, are, are basically the same every year. He starts the season out favour with the manager not really having any intention on playing him. And then we arrive at like November and December and he's played a few games and it's like, oh, he's done all right. And then by like February, March, he's a mainstay and plays 75% of the matches and does really well. Um, It's really odd. I mean, they tried to to boot him out the door two years ago and he went, I don't want to go anywhere. Uh, I want to fight for my place. And he did. And then he, he... he became an integral member of the team that that season. Um, I mean, obviously, the focus transfer-wise is elsewhere this summer. Um, someone said to me last week that they could, they did that City set aside a, a small or a relatively small figure for a left back if they were to get one in, which I guess would be fifteen mil or so. Um, but obviously, the focus is. Ireland, um, and they want Grealish as well, so and they're going to cost a hell of a lot of money. Um, so, I, I mean, they could get by. They could get by without signing a left back because they've got Mendy, Zinchenko, Ake, and Laporte who could all play there, and and Cancelo who's played there a lot. So that, I mean, yeah. that's five players there, isn't it? So, mm, I definitely think that they've got more cover there than they think, and especially with the whole thing that went on with. Angelino as well that was a bit of a debacle which went on with him and that he kind of fell out with Pep and you know well, Angelino I mean Angelino just wasn't good enough for the way they wanted to play sadly um and mm. Angelino He's quite bitter about it though isn't really he Really bitter yeah it, <laughs> and he's excelled as a wing back and I guess people would say what's the difference between a full back and a wing back but when he plays wing back he has more there's more cover mm. behind him um and I think when he played full back for City he got exposed um in behind uh, and I just mm. don't think he was the right fit. And City will argue they made a tidy profit on him. I think they made about ten mil on him without with him playing yeah. only a handful of games for the club. So, 
Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have to wait and see what happens there with Manchester City and Benjamin Mendy and the situation there at left back. But certainly Erling Haaland, a name we've spoken about so many times on this podcast already. It feels like he certainly is of interest to Manchester City, as Jack rightly says. He was born in Leeds. Um, but he supports Manchester City, the team his dad used to play for, and those two sides square off Saturday at 12.30. Time for another short break here on Football Social Daily. Still two more top flight fixtures to look ahead to. We'll do it next. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the show. This is Sports Social's Football Social Daily. I'm Niall. I've got Nat Pike and Jack Gorn alongside me and two more Premier League games to run the rule over, starting at Turf Moor in this section of the podcast as Burnley take on Newcastle United lunchtime kickoff on Sunday. What a start to your Sunday, eh? Burnley against Newcastle at Turf Moor. Does it get any better than that? Um, Newcastle, of course, they face Fulham on the final day. Still not clear of relegation, Nat. Still work to be done. But heading into that final game, they need a four-point cushion at least to ensure that they are safe when they play Fulham on that final weekend. If you're talking about Newcastle and games that they can pick up points from and games they should try and win, I know this is the Premier League and like what we saw with West Brom against Chelsea last week, sometimes you can pick up points from anywhere. But a realist would say, from Newcastle's perspective, of the games left that they've got, the one against Burnley would certainly be what would be deemed in the winnable category, let's just say. Yeah, and I think especially following on from the fact that obviously they, they played really well last week against Spurs and, and they got a point which was probably quite unexpected, you know, considering they, they've yeah. been pretty naff. They um they probably played as, as well as they have done in recent in recent times uh, last week. So I think given that that's probably given them a bit of a confidence boost, then going into this game they've they've got to be targeting it. But then I, honestly, I think they've probably be they've probably got a target then you know getting to that you know as quick as possible is what I'm trying to say you know not necessarily picking out Burnley or picking out Fulham or they've just got to try and get you know as many points to get that gap between them and Fulham as quick as they can and now is the perfect time to do it because they 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 probably will have that little confidence boost from the point they got from Spurs they've got some they've got they've got some horrible horrible games after this have they yeah which is why I kind of pinpointed this Burnley game because I think that if they don't win this it's going to get really twitchy for them they got West Ham Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester, City. And then Fulham, final day. <laughs> oh my good God, they've got to win this game. Oh, they've, Must they've win. probably got to win and this, got, yeah, 100%. Like, they've done to a game in Sheffield United at home, which is like, if a team's going to go down, that's the sort of game they slip up in. Yeah, against the side, inevitably, that will already be relegated in Sheffield United. We'll yeah. come on to their game against Arsenal shortly, but... Yeah, Newcastle, they've been in the press this week as well. Again, about the possible takeover. Mike Ashley's still convinced that he's shaken hands, let's just say, on a deal to sell the club to the Saudi consortium that were interested in in buying Newcastle uh, around a year ago now that those talks sort of came to a head and Newcastle looked like they were going to be taken over by a, a, a new ownership fronted by Amanda Staveley. He's still convinced that that deal is ready to, to press go on, basically, and ready to, to sign off. Um, however... It's still awaiting arbitration and stuff like that. So maybe Mike Ashley uh, feels that he sold a Premier League club at the time he sold it. And if they do drop down into the championship, it's no longer his problem. Certainly feels like that would be a very Mike Ashley thing to do. Anyway, uh, rumours linking Sean Dyche to Palace. We touched upon them in the last section of the show. Do you think this could be his last season at Burnley, Jack? I know you follow Burnley reasonably closely. 
Or do you think there's cause to optimism with new American ownership that's gone in there at Turf Moor? A recent survey in The Athletic, I think, revealed that the majority of Burnley fans they spoke to want better players, a better squad, or just in general more investment in the playing staff at Turf Moor. Hang on, sorry. The the Athletic have have polled... uh... Supporter base who have said they want better players and a better squad. Is that not just every club? <laughs> it's just every club in the world, isn't it? <laughs> Did they also say they want to win more football matches? Um, the honest answer re- regarding Deitch is I don't know um, because I won't bore you with it, but uh, I've been quite negligent at Burnley the last few weeks because City has taken over completely because they could go and win a quadruple, which would be amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, I it'll be very it will be very very interesting with Deitch and Burnley because he's been promised money in the summer they decided not to do anything in January because they didn't think there was value in the market despite the new owners came in and said there would be money to spend but then it was decided between the owners and the manager that the players that they wanted i.e. Nathan Collins at Stoke uh, was too rich for them and they didn't want to spend that much money so they got a massive summer it's they've got to get it right because they can't they can't keep going on renewing the contracts of Phil Bardsley, Jack Cork, whoever else for a year and just keep kicking the can further down the road and staying up. They need to they need some smart investment, mm-hmm. um, and whether that happens or not, it remains to be seen. But it'll be a massive indicator. I think Deitch. What Deitch decides to do will be a massive indicator of the conversations that are taking place at board level. If Deitch turns around and leaves the club now, I think fans will be will be pretty worried. Yeah, I think that there's certainly always going to be question marks and scepticism when new owners come in. But the way, like you say, we won't go into it too too much detail. But the way that Burnley was actually taken over and acquired by their new owners, the new American owners, the way it was done certainly raised a few eyebrows in terms of the way financially things were worked out let's just say but yeah i don't mind i don't i don't mind that so much because uh leveraging happens quite a lot in football and is growing increasingly popular with people that are buying football clubs i think the thing with Deitch is if Deitch was to walk out i mean he's on 75 grand a week as manager of burnley i don't think he's going to get any he's not going to get any more money than that at crystal palace or anywhere else actually for that matter i'm surprised it's that much yeah well it's burnley uh, over the last five years has been the manager is the most important person at the club whereas right. 19 of or the other 19 clubs in the in the division probably don't take that view I wouldn't have thought so he's the highest paid highest paid employee at the club if he walks out on that contract um, I mean that is I think that's significant I hope for their sake he doesn't no I, I totally get what you're saying and very unusual, Jack, like you say, that a manager gets paid more than probably the majority of the squad gets paid on a weekly basis. I don't think we probably will see that in the Premier League too often as the years roll on. Anyway, Newcastle making the trip to Turf Moor Sunday 12pm. They take on Burnley. What a huge game that could be for the Magpies. Sheffield United versus Arsenal is the final game we're going to talk about. The seventh of seven games across Saturday and Sunday that take place in the Premier League. It's for me the most indifferent game of the weekend because Sheffield United are going down. Arsenal aren't up to much. I don't enjoy watching them, unfortunately. This is a question that I've wanted to ask for a while and I'm always interested to hear people's take on this. We often talk about the big six, don't we, Nat? We talk about the big six clubs in the Premier League. 
Can we even consider Arsenal a big six club anymore after this season? I think they've been left behind. They've been out of the Champions League now. I think this is their fourth season they're not going to qualify for the Champions League. I don't think big six is something that they deserve to be in on performances of this season. They keep winning the FA Cup, which is fine. They're the record holders of the FA Cup, 14 victories. But I think Leicester have now got more of a shout in being considered a big six club than Arsenal at the moment. I don't know what your take is. I think it's a weird season to try and... um sort of cement anything like that you know they obviously they finished eighth last year but they did win the FA Cup but they haven't finished outside the top six before last season since 1994-95 season (laughs) so you know um I I still think they are a big six club you know it just last season they were just just outside that's me absolutely told isn't it to back it up as well (laughs) <laughs> but I know what you're saying, though, because they just feel like they've not challenged for the league in a long, long time. So I, I know what you're saying. that Nobody's putting them up there as Premier League contenders, are they? So I know what you're saying. And and I would be very, very happy for the big six to be to be shaken up. You know, I really want Leicester and West Ham, as I continually say, to finish in the top four. You know, if there was only a way that United could slip out and, you know, Everton to storm in there, then that would just make my, make my year. So I know what you're saying, but I don't think we should write him off yet okay interesting that actually because um i think Mikel arteta for some reason the question marks haven't been there and and i don't know why where maybe it is a product of the season maybe they do implicitly trust him trust the process as uh alexandra lacazette even had printed on his football boots trust the process um <laughs> so right. yeah he did yeah a few weeks back i think you can check it out on social media you'll find it somewhere but genuinely they must really buy into this. Not what Gary Neville was saying, though, on Sky Sports recently, Jack. He was suggesting that there's some sort of disconnect between Mikel Arteta and the Arsenal players. Is that what you can put their indifference down to? Because, as we say, for a club as prestigious and with a stature like Arsenal's, this has been a rotten season for them. It has, yeah, and it's going to take him... I think he's weeding out the deadwood, isn't he? Um and also weeding out the bad characters, which he did a little bit in January. And I think he's alluded, he's alluded to that in his in his presses, hasn't he? Uh, but that is going to take take time. Um, and even some of the big players, you look at Lacazette. I don't think Lacazette's everyone's favourite person in the Arsenal dressing room. Um, maybe it needs that kind of regeneration of of character, which is kind of what what uh, Pep and him did at City. Mm. And it that took a that. I mean, obviously, that was they were able to accelerate that city because they they had more money to play with than than Arsenal do, um, but that seems to be what he's trying to do at Arsenal. But it is taking time, and how how long do these managers really have? Um, I think the just going back to what Nat was saying, really was I think with Arsenal, I think they are they're in the big six, but they're not the top six. So, big six infrastructurally and historically. And they'll be part of the big yeah. six that make the big decisions that impact the rest of the um, the football league. Yeah, but they're not a top size wise, size wise, sure, but they're yeah. not a top yeah. six club. No, but they can't. No, they no, can't. It, no not. With but the they're way paying top. But they pay like they pay top six wages. So you know, I was mm-hmm. saying they're not got as much as, uh, as much money as City, but like the wage bill is higher than like most of the other teams in mm. and around them. So I don't be. want to spend too much time talking about Arsenal, but it made me think the other day when I saw someone post on social media a lineup from Wenger's days when they had recently moved to the Emirates. And you know when basically Wenger, he didn't have a shoestring budget, but he had a tight budget by Arsenal standards and his remit was to get them in the Champions League. 
after they'd spent loads of money on building the Emirates after leaving Highbury. Some of the players in that team, I think they had Squilacci at centre-back and just some of the players that they had available to them, like Johan yeah, Dejuru and stuff, job. like Wenger to get them in the top four with that squad, which is, even by today's standards, like, how has he managed to do that with a, with a yeah, playing yeah. squad of that quality? And no disrespect to those players, but it, it wasn't exactly Ljungberg, Pires, Henri, Sol Campbell, Patrick Vieira, et al. So I think that maybe Arsenal have had a mediocre team for a long time now and maybe it is about time that they kind of got found out and maybe they have been overachieving I don't know maybe I'm being harsh let's focus on Sheffield United just to round down the podcast then Nat they're surely already planning for next season in the championship are they aren't they that has to be the plan for them yeah they've got to be they've not they've not got a new manager yet have they I've not missed that no, no, no yeah. using, I think they're using Paul Heckingbottom, <laughs> who was the under twenty three coach, I believe. Yeah, he's caretaker charge at the moment. Yeah, they've got to be planning for a championship next season. You know, it takes some absolute and utter miracle to save them now. And you know, they're probably thinking, you know, about the new manager. And but I do think that they, they need to sort that quickly because you know they are they do have some decent players, and I do think other clubs will start sniffing around um, and mm. trying to you know snatch these players before you know a new manager comes in and is able to sort of settle the ship a bit. And I, I bet. They're planning ahead next season as well, you know, in the hope that, that fans are back. You know, they're obviously one of the clubs that has been most affected by not playing in front of their own support. And, you know, you know, with the, you know, I'm sure that they're going to be hoping that they'll be able to do some sort of Norwich and bounce back next year. Although, you know, Norwich obviously are a perfect example of, you know, mm. keeping your manager, which they haven't done. But yeah, they've got to be planning ahead now. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, Sheffield United welcome Arsenal to Bramall Lane. I nearly said the Emirates then. Sheffield United welcome Arsenal to Bramall Lane, 7pm kickoff on Sunday. That's the last game of the weekend when it comes to Saturday and Sunday's games. And it's the last game on today's Football Social Daily podcast as well. So thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Nat. Thank you, Jack. Appreciate your time. As always, don't forget Fergal, Brennan and the gang will be back on Sunday with a full review and look back at all of the weekend's action. So make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss that. But that's it from us today and we'll catch you again next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.